Hey guys, it's Dr. Chloe, and I just wanted to come on and give you a quick thank you. Your support over season one of the podcast has been incredible, and I'm so, so very grateful for each and every one of you. It really means the world to me. We are currently taking a short break while we regroup and reorganize for season two, and I can't wait to get new episodes out to you soon. I also want to let you all know that I am creating a new community in school, S-K-O-O-L. So check the link in the show notes. You can sign on and join the group for free for the next month. And in there, I'm going to be uploading a couple of different courses that I've put together in order to help you optimize your health and the health of your family so that you can really feel empowered in making the decisions that you need to when it comes to your healthcare journey, whether it's the food that you're eating at home or the work that you're doing with a practitioner. So check it out. I'm really excited to be able to connect more directly with you all there. And I'm excited that it's going to be free for the time being. And you'll be grandfathered into that if you sign up now. So check it out. And I will see you there. I hope everybody's doing wonderfully. And I'll talk to you soon. Hey, guys, it's Dr. Chloe. And this is the Radical Remedy Podcast. So today's guest is Dr. John Kim. He is an integrated pharmacist, He is an expert in functional medicine and also an expert in CBD and hemp. So what we really dive into in this episode is how CBD can help support your brain and body and why full spectrum hemp is so much better for you than isolate CBD. So I found this conversation to be really interesting as an herb nerd and as somebody who owns a CBD and Chinese herb company, I even learned a lot from Dr. John, and I really appreciate his down-to-earth perspective on how to use herbs in your day-to-day life. So check it out. Let me know what you think, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right, everybody. I am here today with Dr. John Kim, and it is quite an honor to have you here, Dr. John. Dr. Chloe, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show. And uh, yeah, let's get talking about CBD and all the fun stuff of cannabis. Oh, it's so fun. It's It blows me away. There's so much Western research on it. And so many people think that it's just, you know, a throwaway herb or a one size fits all. And it's it's really fascinating research that's been coming out. So I'm excited to nerd out. Yeah, So you absolutely. became interested in CBD after it helped you uh, following up after a heart attack. Tell me a little bit about that story and how you got into it. It's, it's pretty unique. I think everybody's history in their life is very unique. It's the where you are heading, I think that's a very important part, and what kind of doorways you end up having to see and open up afterwards. Uh, your overall life challenges, that's really, I think, the biggest thing that people take away. And me being sick and, and going through that path, end up having to open a lot of doorways in terms of what I know now and how I end up having to help my uh, patients. So it's been an eye-opening. So back in 2015, I had a heart attack. I had an 85% blockage of my uh, lower anterior descending artery, uh, aka the Widowmaker. And I ended up in a hospital, ended up getting a stent put in. Uh, the cardiologist thought I had a pericarditis, actually, instead of actually having a heart attack because of my age and as well as uh, I was healthy, quote-unquote healthy, I thought. And there was nothing going on on top of the fact that my troponin level was less than one. So there was absolutely no damage going on. Unfortunately, when we ended up having to do a echocardiogram, my left ventricle wasn't pumping correctly. So that's when the cardiologist said, there's something going on here. We've got to get you to the cath lab and then see what's going on. 
So with the contrast dye and, and the cath lab, they found that I had an 80 plus M blockage. So instead wow. of just leaving it alone, the doctor ended up having to put a stent put in. So I do have a stent right now at an age of 33 years old. I'm 41 at this point. Um, yeah, that made a lot of uh, challenges and trying to figure out, you know, what went wrong and what happened. I thought I was having a such a great, healthy life. Obviously, stress is always stress. <laughs> and, and I thought I was eating healthy, quote unquote, healthy again. Uh, and that in itself became a, a, a moment of reflection of what went wrong and how I could actually improve and trying to figure out the overall root cause of the issue. Because having a stent putting in, you don't know what the overall outcome is going to be later on. There's no long-term data having a stent putting in. And it may end up to occur having another MI or how long that stent's going to last in your body and such. So I wanted answers. So I ended up having to speak to one of my great uh, functional medicine doctor. And she's like, you know, I think you have uh, some kind of a tick-borne-related illness. I'm like, there's no way. I had no symptoms. So after doing additional blood tests done, I was tested positive for Bartonella, mold toxicity, parasites, uh, Epstein-Barr, along with heavy amounts of heavy metals and biofilms. So that basically became the pinnacle of a creating a perfect storm to create a cardiac issues. I mean, Bartonella infection in general can cause endothelial damage. And on top of when you talk about mold toxicity, mycotoxins in general can cause increasing uh, cardiovascular issues on top of vasculature inflammation. And then you actually have an increase in cholesterol production, increase in oxidation. So it creates a perfect, and then you have a heavy metal on top of that. Now you create a perfect scenario for atherosclerotic plaque to build up. And then additional issue dealing with parasites, right? So you have a lot of multiple layers of issues that's coming through. So it just create a perfect balance. And I, I always talk about epigenetics these days, but I, I had a very poor epigenetic profile I was not aware of. And I thought I was having a healthy life because I was taking all the supplements, said it was supposed to help me with my inflammation and longevity, but that was not the case. So that really opened up my eyes of the real root cause medicine, of what I call the foundational medicine. And then during the entire treatment that took me about two years, I, I am completely um, Bartonella infection free. Mold toxins, you're gonna get exposed to mold all the time. So yep. I have a plans in place in terms of detoxing it on a periodic basis. But right now I'm, I'm very healthy in that sense of that and, and as well as what I learned. And one thing that really helped me during that entire treatment of using full spectrum CBD because I was having such a horrible Herxheimer reaction, or which is AKA the die-off reaction, having body ache, anxiety, couldn't even sleep well. Uh, and CBD was the only thing that really helped me. It really helped to cut the edge and creating a, a harmony in that sense of that and calmness that I ended up having to pick up on. And I tried uh, CBD isolates. It helped for a little bit really didn't do too well. I mean, we're going to talk about that later on. It doesn't why there's a limitation in using CBD isolates. But when I started using full spectrum, it worked out very well. And yeah, I, I used that for two years and I'm, I'm still using it now for occasional sleep and stress aspect of it and inflammation. But my patients, my clients have you know, made a tremendous improvement in utilizing full spectrum CBD just for pain, uh, improving the immune issues, even during COVID times, uh, people mm -hmm. are using CBD to deal with the overall 
uh, inflammation and cytokine storm that we need to control. So that was another totally. thing that we were recommending. And yeah, there's multiple ways of doing it. And the crazy part is, in our history of medicine, use of cannabis has been a stable part of medicine in general. I mean, if you look at the overall use of CBD in, in Chinese medicine, for instance, it's been widely accepted for a long period of time. Even I believe in in 2700 BC, when they actually had documentations of use of cannabis. For certain things, and then they knew that it was going to keep causing some kind of psychological effect,、uh, appetite stimulation, tonic, and as well as、uh, in ways to help calm the patient down, especially when you're dealing with stomach issues. So they had already had all these things on top of like pharmacists until the 1930s when prohibition actually occurred. Pharmacists in the United States were actually actively making cannabis extracts in sativa indica forms and utilizing it in compounds. On top of the U.S. Pharmacopeia, which is basically the bible of what pharmacists end up having to refer to for information on drugs, they had written documentation of cannabis extracts and house use and what it is and, and such, written documented by the U.S. U.S.、Uh, U.S. government and the entire scientific community. So we had a long history. Unfortunately, there was such a misinformation that went on. And as well as certain civil right issue, civil rights issue, <laughs>、uh, that prohibited us from using it for almost a hundred years afterwards. So, this is where we are now. <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's been an interesting ride watching the cannabis boom over the past couple of years. So, just to go back to a couple of things that you said, one of the things that I love the most about CBD and that I often say to people is it. It gives your body and your mind sort of the space to heal a little bit. So, as you were talking about healing from all of those many things, which are really common ailments that so many people are dealing with, and that are at the root cause of a lot of people's health and、uh, you know health concerns like Bartonella and mold, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's it, CBD allows you to to have that sleep that's so essential. To heal, to reduce that inflammation, to help with the Herx response, which can be so, so severe sometimes. I know I'm always working on parasites with me and my son. My son has epilepsy with the full moon, and so that's often a parasite connection. So we'll do a parasite cleanse. His seizures will go away, and then you know I've got pets who I've got to cleanse also. So it's always a bit of a process,、um, and then they'll come back. And、um, but yeah, CBD is is amazing for giving your body that space to heal. Um, and obviously, I love the connection with Chinese herbs、um, and how long we've been using them. It it really is fascinating, and it's fascinating the propaganda about CBD and about cannabis and the hoops that we've had to jump through. You know, owning a CBD company, I've had my credit card processor shut down five times.、Um, I've had to rebuild my website four times. I had my credit card processor hold my money for a month because I said that one of our Formulas, which I was talking about, the Chinese herbal formula that was the base of the formula,、uh, supports women's health, which was literally the most vague term that I could possibly come up with.、Um, and since we're a CBD company, we're highly censored and highly looked at. So they they held our money for a whole month while we were trying to deal with、uh, taking that down and trying to explain that that was in fact not a medical claim.、Um, But so it's it's fascinating to see how it's evolving, 
Um, how are you using um, CBD in your practice as a functional medicine practitioner? What are you seeing most commonly uh, that that it's helpful for? So do the clients actually come to our pharmacy after trying so many other things, uh, pharmaceutical or other vitamins, and then they're finding that they hit a, a plateau and they're trying to figure out what else they could use? So that's that overall discussion point that we kind of have to talk to patients about. You know, what have you tried and, and, and such. So the common things that we see always is sleep, anxiety issues with mental health, what they could do to improve their pain issues. So chronic pain is a big one that we end up having to uh, treat, especially um, fibromyalgia, as well as a global pain syndrome that a lot of patients might be dealing with. I mean, those patients are just suffering left and right. They, they haven't found anything to be helpful. And all of a sudden, CBD comes through and that doesn't happen every every time, but sometimes it just hits it on uh, out of the ballpark that they could literally at least now function and walk around, go to go shopping, and do the normal things that they used to do. So at least CBD is there to help take care of multiple issues because you got to remember what CBD actually does and how it actually end up having to incorporate into our body. And the whole, whole thing about the CBD is that we have to talk about endocannabinoid system. And then the cannabinoid is there to create a homeostasis and creating a balance with our immune system, it, especially creating some kind of a equilibrium within the cells and our body in general. So, you know, patients are feeling better because they're able to at least control their pain at this point in time. They feel less anxious. Now they're not really dependent on medications anymore on top of the fact that it can be very complementary in using pharmaceuticals with full-spectrum CBD. Now, I didn't talk about CBD isolates because there's certain drug interactions that might be going happening, but we're talking about a full-spectrum CBD and use of pharmaceutical drugs can be very complementary. So patients who are undergoing, let's just say, chemotherapy, for instance, they could utilize CBD in a sense that actually help to support the immune system, supporting the overall recovery. But there are a lot of studies looking at in combination of CBD or even THC with using some type of chemo or radiation to help treat cancer. So that's been widely studied in Europe. It's not much studies in the United States, but there's a doctor named Dr. English who I met at a low-dose naltrexone conference, and he had tons of data showing his overall work and looking at CBD with some of the chemotherapy agents to help eradicate, eradicate some of the issues dealing with melanoma, even breast cancer and such. So those are the things that I've seen being utilized. The other ways you could you end up having to use is um, use of compounding drugs like low-dose naltrexone and use of full-spectrum CBD because the overall endocannabinoid system and as well as looking at the endorphin system can be very complementary in managing the overall inflammation that's actually happening in the body. So in dealing with pain management, in dealing with autoimmune disorders such as Hashimoto's can be very helpful. Uh, it has been looked into in treating spectrum disorders, seizures. So all these things can be utilized in complementary fashion. So. I think the end, the, there's an endless amount of possibilities that we're still not tapping into. It's just that a lot of practitioners are not comfortable diving into the CBD market or at least to looking at different things because 
it's a new new area. People get scared, but in order to help the patients, you need to really get out of your comfort zone and figuring out, look at the data that, that we have so far, and there's tons of data available mm-hmm. in order to get to the overall issue that we could help the patient. Absolutely. And yeah, I think practitioners are fearful, you know, less in my field because we're already herbalists. But I think um, I think a lot of it also is there was, you know, with the CBD boom, there was just so many horrible products out on the market, you know, which we know CBD is a bioaccumulator. So it's going to pull up toxins from the earth and, you know, the extraction methods make such a difference in its bioavailability and its effectiveness. So I think, you know, I know for me, a lot of people I talk to are like, oh, I tried CBD. It didn't work. It didn't do anything, you know, and I'm like, well, which did you try? Did you get it at a bodega? Like, how did that go? Um, so I think that there's just a huge variation in, in the quality and the efficacy of the products that are out there. So that's definitely something that we'll we'll go into more of. But while we backtrack and just explain a little bit, if you don't mind, of the endocannabinoid system and why it has such widespread effects on so many different things. Because a lot of people look at it and they're like, well, how can it possibly treat all of these different things? And it's it's really beautiful how it really does and how the endocannabinoid system works. So I'd love to have you explain that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So ECS or the endocannabinoid system is low, is a, it, I call it the master system, right? It's, it controls so many aspects in the body. And everybody thinks that it's just the GI system, the, the central nervous system, no, no, no as entire system that envelopes entire thing over that. And that is the endocannabinoid system. So all mammalians actually have endocannabinoid system. And it's one of the things that's going to be located within the brain and the spinal code, uh, as well as a perfor- peripheral nervous system as well. And it regulates various areas of our body, especially the physiological, cognitive functions. It also helps to control appetite, pain sensation, mood, fertility, right, pregnancy. And during a pre- and postnatal development, the ECS system gets developed first, even before the central nervous system or the, or the GI system being formed. Wow. So that is the pinnacle of what controls all aspects of the body's development, recovery, and as well as, you got to remember why the ECS system is there, is to create a balance in that sense of it. And so, you know, our body actually makes our own endocannabinoids, right? Anandamide is one of the things that we create already. And that anandamide actually has a similar structure to THC. So that feeling of bliss that we actually have after working out of some sort, that is our overall ECS system kicking in to create a balance within our body to create, to dampen the cortisol level down. And we've seen this in an animal model study, animal model study as well. So there was a particular study looked at they were stressing out rats and they noticed that the cortisol level was keep on increasing at the same time, the body's own endocannabinoids and having to increase to dampen the effect of the cortisol. So that's our, that's our natural body's mechanism to create a homeostasis and creating a ways to decrease inflammation and then the overall detrimental part of the cortisol issue that the, uh, the person might be dealing with. The, it, the issue is that because of our poor epigenetic profile that we're actually dealing with, right? Poor eating habits and eating 
very bad seed oil can actually affect the endocannabinoid uh, receptor expression. And we'll talk about that later, but that could be one of the aspects of it. And as well as the fact that uh, there's a certain amount the body's able to handle in terms of stress. As a result, there's a whole new term called endocannabinoid deficiency, where now it creates a perfect opportunity for other pathogens coming to play, and then your body's not able to recover so well, right? So dealing with chronic pain, for instance, you just don't create chronic pain unless there's some kind of a stressor coming through that tips the patient over. But until that actually happens, I mean, just this is over theory aspect of that and looking at it. And, and this happens to be the case in, in our patient scenarios as well. They're fine controlling all these stressors. And all of a sudden, one, one little thing tips the per person over. And now they're dealing with overall stress issues, including autoimmune disorders, right? That could be... That, that little tipping point could be some kind of viral infection, right? Or maybe a car accident. Maybe, maybe it could be a, a scenario where they had a stressful event. So almost like a PTSD that developed into result in that. This is where the overall ECS deficiency comes through and body's not able to handle that overall stress. And CBD actually has a great amount of role in managing our immunomodulatory effect. So... Uh, that's something that CBD is able to do very well. And if you look at the entire, cannabino and, uh, entire cannabinoid profile within a hemp plant, for instance, I think about 60% of that expression is based on CBD. 0.3% will be THC and everything else is other endocannabinoids coming into play to create an entourage effect to work on different subreceptors of our uh, body and then within the ECS and other receptors. So that really helps to create a balance and managing all these things. It's just that because of everyday stress, everyday happening, chronic illness, poor eating habits, inflammation, all those things end up having to deplete the way that our body's own ECS system is able to regulate our body. And so what we're trying to do is using full spectrum CBD to create a, a external balance approach to help create a path to healing. Right, so you're just basically giving a little bit of boost for the body's own mechanisms of healing to occur, and activate that. Yeah, it's amazing. And one of the things that I, I love the conversation about endocannabinoid deficiency because I think it's so interesting. A lot of people don't seem, don't understand. So, so since we make our own endogenous cannabinoids, as you said, uh, nandamide, two AG, and potentially others that we are discovering. Um, you know, one of the things that it's important for people to understand is that as we're under chronic stress, my understanding of this is as we're under chronic stress, we're releasing these endogenous cannabinoids to be used to, to regulate the endocannabinoid system. But we have enzymes in our body that then break them down rapidly after they're released. So they're not reused again. So my understanding of it is that since as a society, we're under such mental and physical stress with all of these exogenous toxins, as well as just sort of the stress of the world today. Um, you know, we're sort of burning through our endogenous cannabinoids more quickly than we used to. We also don't get hemp in our diet the way that we used to probably about 100 years ago. Um, so that's sort of leading to a state of deficiency in the uh, can and endocannabinoid system. Is that yeah. sort of how you see it also? Is, I see it as well. And then there's a whole thing of fatty acid imbalance. That goes on, right? So, for instance, in order for anandamide to be formed, even 2-AG 
it is actually derived from omega-6, right? So when you actually have, and omega-6 is really vital for your cell membrane structure. Problem is that when we're talking about seed oils and all these hydrogenated oils, it actually destabilizes the cell membrane and as well as it, it depletes the overall anandamides and other endocannabinoids that our body is able to produce. And then when you are dealing with other inflammation, which causing uh, omega-6, omega-3 deficiency as well, that can also affect our ECS profile and the receptors at the same time. So it's all about the epigenetics comes down to that and all about the fatty acid imbalance. I'm, I'm a big proponent of uh, cell membrane support mm-hmm. and using phospholipids and having the right amount of omega-6 and omega-3 in terms of four to one ratio that you need to actually use a non-oxidized, bioflavonoid-rich uh, components uh, of fatty acid that you could end up having to use to support the entire body's cell membrane, the mitochondrial function, and our ECS expression that is really needed. Because if you think about ECS, there's so many functions in dealing with healthy inflammation, sleep, memory, gut function is a big one. Right. I'm always nobody ever talks about the endocannabinoid system and gut function. It always gut blows function. me away because there's so much research on it and it's research. so cool. <laughs> yeah, you talk about IBS and all these uh, Crohn's disease, you know that. I mean that's because of ECS deficiency. Metabolic process, right? It also deals with stress response that I've already talked about, relaxation, resiliency, right? People are lacking resiliency to handle stress. Right, people are just breaking down at this point in time because of just a little bit of stress going on. That's an ECS deficiency right there. <laughs> maybe you need some more omega six and omega three and a healthy balance, and maybe you should fix your diet and then maybe supplement you with some full spectrum CBD. Absolutely, yeah, it's it's fascinating and terrifying all rolled up in one as we look at the health profiles of our society right now. Um, so. Let's get into some of the the pharmacodynamics of CBD and how it works with uh, pharmaceuticals. Because as you said, it can be really beneficial to work in conjunction with pharmaceuticals. There's a lot of confusion as to whether you can take CBD with pharmaceuticals and how that works. So I'd love to hear your take on that and how it works in your how you're seeing it work in your practice. Right. Uh, well, even before we do that, I, I mean, if you don't mind, I mean, we should talk about the, the the way that the CBD even works in the body, right? It's just not sure. a, a, there's such a misunderstanding of, you know, when I first started doing this back in 2000, was it 2017, actually, everybody's talking about, you know, the CB1 and CB2 receptors and how the CBD is able to affect the CB2 receptor, which is one of the receptors that chip to modulate the immune system. And it's actually widely expressed within the periphery, right? So just kind of give you for the listeners out there to differentiate what CB1 and CB2 does is, is that CB1 is expressed within your neurological system. So THC, for instance, has a direct effect on the CB1. So that's the reason why you end up feeling euphoric or other psychological effect. And then CB2 actually works almost on the same receptor as CB1 in a negative allosteric modulatory effect. So what it does is, simple term, (laughs) simple term, CBD is able to change the shape of the CB1 receptor to 
modulate or at least to kick off the TAC off the receptor to work in a different ways of doing that. So could just kind of give you an example of how this could be utilized in medicine. If a person overdoses on THC, you could use a high dose of CBD to negative uh, to reverse the effect of THC. Okay, so that could be very helpful for emergency medicine. Mm-hmm. There are potentially kids or maybe pets could end up having to eat through edible THCs and I did that to my dog once she didn't overdose but (laughs) when I was in college you got a brownie off my bed I blamed my brother and it was my dog (laughs) Uh, too funny so that that could be utilized and and cannabinoids you know bind to certain receptors to create you know agonistic or antagonistic response and when you talk about agonist for instance it causes euphoria hunger and thirst so that's exactly what uh, TAC does and an antagonist that's more that CBD does is that produce a complete opposite effect. So CBD can be stimulating for some people because it's a kind of a sativa form. Mm-hmm. So some people feel like, oh my God, I feel anxious taking T- uh, CBD. It can occur. Doesn't mean that it doesn't happen all the time, but it does occur. So there's a big difference in that aspect of it. And especially there's a 65 different you know, pharmacological targets that CBD is able to hit including different receptors, ion channels, right, enzymes and transporters. And at the same time, it's able to modulate, like I said, uh, the immune system, physiological modulation of activity. So there's many, many things going on. And uh, there's certain things like um, different receptors that could hit is like the, the serotonin receptor, um, adenosine receptors that could be hitting uh, on top of a uh, glycine ion channels I talked about is able to help to modulate the transportation and certain enzymes in the body as well. So there's a lot of things going on, including help to um, increase the reuptake of certain neurotransmitters like dopamine, norepinephrine, GABA, and anandamides. So there's different roles that CBD can do, and you don't even think about these things until you get to nitty-gritty science of the pharmacology of it. And then there's a whole thing with, um, we'll talk about, you know, entourage effect later on, but there's definitely a certain scare of drug interaction with cannabis. It's not just about CBD, THC can be causing certain drug interactions with uh, certain medications, and as well as it can cause a uh, antagonistic and as well as agonistic effect of certain uh, drug enzymes called cytochrome p450 so you have to look at that as well those are typically the meds that have the grapefruit warning right that work on the cytochrome p450 i wanted to take a moment and talk to you about radical roots so i founded this company when my son remy was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder and intractable epilepsy as a doctor of chinese medicine i knew that the best way to support his complex neurological and physiological needs would be through dynamic chinese herbal formulas I also started studying the incredible effects of hemp and its ability to support and regulate the brain and the body. By combining targeted Chinese herbal formulas with complete spectrum hemp and using a unique alchemical spagyric extraction technique, we have created formulas that are true game changers. Honestly, I truly believe that these are some of the most powerful herbal formulas on the market. Please check out RadicalRootsHerbs.com, use the code RADREMEDY, 
and get 15% off your first order. I'm so, so proud of these and I think you guys are gonna love them as much as I do. So Sarcom P450 is a phase one metabolism of a drug interaction. And this can be very confusing for lay people out there. I mean, for even pharmacists can be very confusing and even healthcare professionals. Now we're just really getting to deep dive into that. Now I'll try to make it as simple as possible. Um, so there's an enzyme called cytochrome P450, which is part of a phase one metabolism. And within that cytochrome P450, there's different subgroups, 1A1, uh, you know, uh, 3A4, the different subenzymes in that aspect of it as well. And the crazy thing about CBD and, and certainly in interaction with certain medication, it can either speed up the metabolism of certain drug or end up having to stop the metabolism of certain drugs. Right, so that that's where that overall confusion coming coming into play, and when you're talking about drug interaction as well, there's a three main ways how two drugs or two certain compounds, as when I talk about compounds, that's including CBD, can interact. One, it could be the metabolic interaction. I talk about how it can speed up or slow down the drug metabolism. So that's a metabolic interaction, and then there is certainly a drug distribution. Uh, change as well. So certain drugs can affect the absorption of this other drug that you're trying to take. So that could be where, you know, the, the change in the gut absorption, as well as there's certain things in terms of how the there's something called a prodrug. So you need the phase one enzymes to allow an inactive drug molecule to become a active drug, right? If CBD is there to stop that uh, uh, change of the drug molecule to make it active. Well, you have a useless drug at this point in time. So that that's not going to be helpful. And then there's a third way how drug interaction could come into play, and that's the conversion pathway, where the two drugs are working in a same fashion to get to the, uh, the certain receptor, or they end up having to cross and cancel each other out. So that could be another problem as well. And when you're talking about multiple drugs, I'll just give you an example for patients dealing with seizures and they're taking three to four drugs, that can be very confusing, like in terms of how do we navigate this through safely. And you're talking about grapefruit, just for instance. Grapefruit is a one of the natural compounds that can inhibit an enzyme called 3A4, cytochrome P450 3A4 enzyme. And the 3A4 enzyme is more the most significant group of cytochrome P450 enzyme that metabolizes about 30% of all drugs out there. Okay, so that's a lot. Um, and those 3A4, and the confusing part is that it can either increase or decrease of the 3A4 enzymes by the CBD. So there was a study that was looking at um, Diltiazem, for instance, diltiazem is a calcium channel blocking drug to reduce blood pressure and help to regulate heart rate. It's just that CBD can actually inhibit the metabolism of diltiazem and so it can actually decrease a person's uh, blood pressure and the heart rate. So that has to be looked at very carefully. Um, but that determination of an increase or decreasing of the metabolism is also drug dependent as well. So this is where the confusing part, for instance, when you're talking about uh, phenytoin, 
it can be 3A4 can actually activate the metabolism. So the drug level can actually decrease by taking CBD with the phenytoin. And then there's some there's a certain HIV medication called indenavir, also can be activated by the 3A4. So the uh, the drug level can be decreasing. And then when you talk about drugs like cyclosporin and diltiazem, I just mentioned before, it can be inhibited by a three, uh, by the CBD. So it, it's really crapshoot sometimes, and there's not enough information out there. And it can be confusing. And so I don't want to go through this this whole thing because for listeners out there, I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Here's the thing, right? In order to really get to the, the easier part of it, and this is where the safety profile comes through, and picking the right CBD is going to be really, really helpful for you. Okay. There's a whole thing called the entourage effect, right? Entourage effect, it happens to be the case very well described within Chinese medicine how when you take a whole plant extract, for instance, right, a whole plant extract, there's different compounds within the natural form of the plant or herb that's able to work in a synergistic effect to create the best outcome possible for the patient. So when you talk about a hemp plant, for instance, hemp just does not contain just CBD alone. It also contains 0.3% of THC, it has other 160 different cannabinoids on top of fatty acid, terpenes, and all that, all that good stuff. Why this is so important about it is that all those things that I'm talking about right now and enveloped into a, a capsule, let's just say, creates an entourage effect where all those little components of, of those things is able to work synergistically to create a better outcome and better results compared to just taking a single molecule of the end of the cannabinoids so when there's a com- there's a comparison study looking at just a single thc model versus a full whole plant extraction of a, can- a cannabinoid or plant uh, of the hemp plant for instance the whole plant created a better outcome for a person's pain level control compared to just looking at isolated of form of thc now, why this is so important is that when you're talking about drug interaction profile, when you pick the right form of full-spectrum CBD oil or capsule, or whatever, as long as you have the right extraction and the right full-spectrum and an entire expression of the uh, cannabinoids we're talking about and the cannabis we're talking about, mm-hmm. the drug interaction profile is, interaction profile-wise, is much, much less or non-existent because all those things end up having to either cancel each other out based on the, the cannabinoid profile or because the drug interaction of CBDs is really dose dependent, having a full spectrum CBD, the effect of the drug interaction uh, issue is going to be much, much less or non-existent at all. all right, so wow. that's, the, that's the really important part that listeners have to really uh, remember that the drug interaction issue, it doesn't happen all the time. Now, obviously, you have to talk to your pharmacist and seeing what could be an issue with your medication you're taking. And I'm not saying to go out there and pick any bottle that you want to. But one thing, especially clinically-wise, and and this is where the extraction science is really important. We're going to talk about that later as well. Picking a ethanol-extracted 
full spectrum CBD oil, that creates a better full spectrum profile extraction compared to CO2. And I've seen this clinically as well. And obviously this is all more or or anecdotal drug interaction issues much less or non-existent with wow. a ethanol extracted full spectrum CBD oil. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. It's interesting to me as an herbalist to watch all of it. And, you know, in Chinese medicine, we use different herbs together to create dynamic formulas that are addressing not only the symptoms, but the underlying ailments. And so, you know, we're sort of doing the entourage effect stacked on stacked with all of the different herbs together. Um, but it has been fascinating, you know, as a as a seizure mom of a child with, you know, intractable epilepsy. Uh, my son's formula that I, I started our product line, Remy's Revenge, with, it's it's really hard for me because I have a lot of patients and, well, I have a lot of customers who will call up and other parents who will call up asking questions about, you know, my kids on four different seizure meds. Can they start CBD? And for me, it's sort of out of my scope. You know, A is just a, a business and not seeing this this person as a as a patient. And then B, it's sort of out of my scope in terms of, you know, the the dynamics with the pharmaceuticals. So it's it's fascinating to hear you break that down. And that makes a lot of sense in terms of the entourage effect, making it more safe and effective with pharmaceuticals. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's, it's all about how the nature is intended to be, right? Nature is uh, created so this way you have different c- compounds there to actually really help to create a balance anyway, right? That's, that's what mm-hmm. entourage does. And so full spectrum CBD oil, the right full spectrum CBD oil that is, tend to use the smaller dose to exert the same effect as an isolated form of CBD. So just kind of repeat and kind of rewording it for listeners out there, just kind of repeating again, full spectrum CBD oil tend to use the smallest amount dose of the CBD to exert the same effect as an isolated CBD. Right. So when you look at the GW Pharma study looking at Epidiolex to control seizures, for instance, what they were using, they were using thousands of milligrams of CBD right, in an isolated form. And that's the reason why they saw liver toxicity going on in conjunction with valproic acid, for instance. Right. So that that's what the challenge is. They were not looking at the full scope of the activity of the cannabis plant. Instead, they end up to just isolate a single molecule. And that just ramped up the dose, of course, going to cause all those issues. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there was, I think we talked about this last week, but there's a really interesting meta-analysis that looked at uh, Epidiolex versus full spectrum CBD. And it showed that they needed six times the amount of the Epidiolex, the the isolate, in order to reach the same seizure threshold um, and had six times the amount of severe and mild side effects. But it's also very hard, especially when you're dealing with like such a catastrophic neurological condition. People get in there and the Western doctors are trained in pharmaceuticals and they just hand them out. And I can tell you that it's it's very challenging to go against the Western doctors. And I can tell you that uh, a lot of them really don't know what they're doing when it comes to seizures. Um, at this point, Remy's doctors are literally like, what meds would you like to try and at what dose? Um, how would you like to add that with CBD. So it's it's interesting seeing um, how confused neurologists actually are on uh, how to use some of the pharmaceuticals. So 
Yeah, that's there's always a challenge in that. And, and another thing they are not understanding fully, and this is where the such a biasness actually happening within the pharmaceutical world is that any other clinical information that's been given to the doctors about certain medications, especially CBD, is given by the pharmas. Right. So yeah. I'll give you a perfect example is that back in 2019, I was actually at the FDA CBD hearing. And the, the number one speaking point, even though there were other industries, CBD industry leaders and in coming in and then talking about these, including myself, the big pharmas and I have to come in and said, those are dangerous, that you need to work on isolated form of CBD because we're able to purify it. You don't have any deal, deal with any pesticides or contaminants, all that, and you get a better results and you have a control study models that we could create and looking at the dosage effect and all the safety that we have done and that they create the better value in patient safety compared to a well-regulated CBD market, right? The one thing that I'm going to tell you right now is that use of hemp and hemp being available since 2000, was it 14 when the farm bill was signed by the, um, by the Obama administration, and then obviously the Trump administration really expanded in 2018 and, and having to deregulate uh, uh, in dealing with the, the class one to being overall legal to be used in industry-wise. Hemp is the plant for the people, right? It really expanded our role as our own path to create a sustainable market for people out there. Either you could use hemp for industry, for making fibers or whatever you want to do, right? Including food, right? There's, all, there's such a great balance of omega-6 and omega-3 balance within the hemp seed that you're going to get a good amount of fatty acid, which I love. And then there's a whole medicinal side that you could end up having to use by extracting the cannabinoids from the flower buds and having to utilize it as well, right? So that gives gives people the, the overall control in terms of their overall health. And unfortunately, Big Pharma doesn't like that. No, they, they don't seem to. I believe there was also, a, I think it was just a survey that was done a couple of years ago that showed that about 40 to 45% of people who started on a full spectrum uh, hemp extract were able to get off of their pharmaceuticals. <laughs> so... That alone shows why there's so much censorship and uh, issues. And it's been disturbing to me to see how much of the research recently has been focused on the isolate pharmaceutical derivatives of cannabis as opposed to the whole spectrum plant because they're sort of just drowning out, you know, the, the full spectrum plant in terms of research. So there's there's not much research on that because it's harder for, you know, small, small companies like me uh, to get money for research and to do things on the level that a pharmaceutical company can, obviously. Um, so it's it's scary and exciting all rolled up into one. <laughs> um, let's talk about some of the issues with the products that are out there or some of the things that we want to look at for a, a good product. So you were talking about ethanol extraction versus CO2 extraction. I use a totally different extraction technique than either of those, which I'll talk about afterwards. But um, I would love to hear your take on both of those because I think it's so important that you're getting the right extraction method um, for your plant. Yeah, the extraction really 
sets apart what type of product you're, you're going to be making. So, you know, we talked about full spectrum. So kind of give you a definition of full spectrum for listeners out there. Full spectrum provides the full entourage effect of a greater synergistic therapeutic value uh, to your entire body, right? So you're not just talking about cannabinoids, which is about 160 and plus, plus you have other plant chemicals on top of terpenes. Terpenes are really the essential oils from the plant itself. And that, and in general, end up having to work on different sub-receptors in the body as well. So there's a nice study looking at how certain limulin, uh, so to give, give an example about certain essential oils like limulin or other essential oils working synergistically with other CBD profile, right? So that in itself shows that, you know, Mother Nature had created this perfect plan to work synergistically, and that's what the full spectrum is. And so I, I prefer that over anything else. And then there's a second product called Broad Spectrum CBD, where the THC has been removed, um, and that can be ideal for clients who's working in a government and they don't want any signs or any detection of THC in their drug test, right? And then there's isolated form where it's a single cannabinoid of CBD. Now there's companies that's making CBG, CBN, um, THCA, and then THCV. Um, there's so many other things that's coming up at this point. So this, this possibly is an endless. You're talking about 160 different cannabinoids within the plant. So yeah, of course, you're going to have multiple things there. So why I mentioned about the extraction sciences. There's no perfect extraction science out there. Let's that, just that's just clear that out. Everybody's like, oh, CO2 is better. And then everybody's like, no, ethanol is better or butane is better. I mean, I wouldn't really recommend anybody using butane. <laughs> but this is the thing. There's such a confusion. There. So what I tell people is like, what is your overall end product that you're trying to uh, create? If you're trying to create a isolated form of CBD, CO2 extraction tends to be the best. Because in using carbon dioxide, which requires you know correct temperature and then pressure conditions and such, it creates such a clean and safe extraction method. CO2 uh, is tend to be nonpolar and also creates a non-water soluble as well. So it doesn't pick out everything out. It's very picky at the same time. So if you're trying to create a clean extraction process, like just I just want to extract just the CBD, that's one way to handle that. So CO2 tends to be very clean in that aspect of it. And so um, it doesn't create any other, you know, horrible taste at the end compared to like a, you know, ethanol extraction or a real true full spectrum. Um, however, it because it's too clean, it also destroys all the other things like terpenes and fatty acids and such. So when you have a company saying that, hey, I, I'm using CO2 extraction to make your full spectrum, that's not a real full spectrum extraction because it's going to destroy all the terpenes, certain cannabinoids that you might be having within the plant cannot survive that temperature change and the pressure conditions that the CO2 extraction has to have and create. Uh, so you're going to have a different product compared to ethanol extraction. So again, it's ideally it's good for isolated form of cannabinoids or a pure form of cannabinoids. So that's where the CO2 extraction is going to do very well. Whereas when you're looking at ethanol extraction, it's probably one of the oldest methods of extraction science. And pharmacists back in the day, 
were using ethanol extraction to get uh, cannabis extract out. And alcohol used as a solvent, it is clean, right? It is safe. It doesn't use, require any other fancy science in that sense of it. But there's no um, residual residue left. So because ethanol is uh, uh, is completely in a polarized in nature, is able to extract everything out, including the fat, including the oil, uh, the entire cannabinoid profile, including chlorophyll. So the extraction of the end result tends to be very dark in nature and tarry and it's bitter and all that, right? But that's all that good stuff that's coming out. So it's a very excellent extraction process for full spectrum products because you want to create all the good stuff to be in there. And uh, because there's a lot of other plant chemicals in there that might be you know, bitterness to it, and sometimes you might be like, oh, this is too bitter to take and, and such. So patients do end up to complain about that, but if you want to look at the full spectrum and really getting the, the best extraction possible, look for a company that is doing ethanol extraction. That's probably the better way to do it. Um, and ethanol extraction is cheaper and is able to be recirculated so it's environmentally safe so that's another good way as well um so that that's the only two things that i would probably recommend looking at but obviously other companies are coming out with different extraction uh, method there's one company i've seen where they're using fermented form of extraction i don't know how that even works they're saying that the fermentation creates a better profile of the cannabinoids is that what nature's intended i don't know but if you talk about what nature really intended, I think the ethanol extraction tends to be better uh, compared to CO2. Yeah, that's what I found also. When we were when I was launching Radical Roots, we were looking at all different ones. There was like a flash vapor extraction. There were all sorts of weird different ones. We ended up going with spagyrics, which is like an ancient alchemical extraction, which is basically an ethanol extraction. And then they take the herbs and they burn it. And then from the ashes, he reconstitutes all the salts and minerals, adds it back into the final product, which creates this crazy chemical reaction. But esoterically, it's bringing the spirit of the plant, which is the alcohol extract with the body of the plant, which is, you know, all the salts and minerals, which hemp is a super mineral rich plant. So to me, I'm looking at the entourage effect and I'm saying, well, if, if hemp has all of these minerals in it, there's probably a reason. So let's get as much of it in the final product as possible. Um, so that's why we do it. But yeah, I totally recommend ethanol-based products also over CO2. So tell me a little bit about, so as I mentioned, since cannabis is a hyperaccumulator, uh, one of the things I love the most is that it, it both cleans the planet and helps potentiate um, topsoil, which is phenomenal. Um, tell me a little bit about how we can make sure that we're finding safe products that do not have toxins in them, uh, because that's that's a big issue in that Yeah, field it also. is a big issue. Um, and that's the reason why uh, the beginning stage of you know the OTC CBD products that was available, third-party companies were randomly picking these bottles of CBD off the shelf that they found that it was tainted with heavy metals, different solvents, including mold toxins and such. So you have to look at these things in a safe, safe method. And the biggest issue, and this is one of the points that we as um, generally, you know, OTC CBD market was completely concerned about is how can we ensure the safety of our products to be out there? And as was creating a standard or method that all CBD companies are able to follow. Uh, so that was one of the challenges that 
we were bringing forth to FDA, but they really didn't really listen because their overall goal is to do what? Allow the big farmers to get into the market and then creating different patents available for these natural plant medicines to be created and sell for profits. So just as you mentioned, Chloe, that, that uh, you know, hemp is a bioaccumulator. Any cannabis is a bioaccumulator. So what that means is that any crap that's in the soil is able to uproot. Anything in the air is able to get sucked in and then is able to uh, clean and as well as to providing different means of, you know, safe way to handle that. So give an example, uh, Chernobyl, good, that's a good example. During, after the nuclear fallout, I believe you, uh, country Ukraine ended up having to plant several hemp plants around that area to suck up the nuclear waste. Even Fukushima um, afterwards, they planted hemp plant as well. So it is a good agent to suck up crap off of soil and environment. But just be, because it's actually such a good good product to clean things out, you as a consumer have to also be careful in terms of where that particular hemp was grown, how it's actually been processed, how it's extracted. And then at the end of it all, do you have a safe product? And you should also ask about certain studies and looking at quality assurance. So that's a very important aspect that all consumers have to really rely on. And so if, if you don't have that, you're just cr- uh, doing doing a injustice of yourself and really getting a, a subpar product and you don't even know if it's really working out or does it, is it really helping you or is it hurting you? So that's really important part. So certain things that I ask patients to look at. As a consumer, even for me to carrying CBD in, into my pharmacy, I look at potency, potency study. In terms of what's labeled on the bottle is what I'm really getting because there was such a mismatch in terms of the labeling aspect of it and then what's really in the content. And that was basically the issue that these third-party companies were finding. I think you're legally allowed to have like a, a discrepancy of like almost 20% of what you're saying. There's some, it, it's something wild it's like high. that. My manufacturer was telling me and I was yep. like, that like, so if I have a 500 milligram bottle, then that's for, you know, I could legally have 400 milligrams of CBD in there, which seems quite unethical. <laughs> unethical, but that's what it was. I mean, but then when you look at a pharmaceutical companies, for instance, there's only about a 10% window in terms of that, right? It's because pharmaceutical companies, the, the batching they do is such a high amount. So when you're talking about the error percentage, it's going to get increased as the batch inserts grows. But when you're looking at CBD, for instance, the extraction and the, the amount that they're making will be much less compared to a pharmaceutical company. So I, I do get that, but there's still a discrepancy within the, the strength that you're going to be purchasing. So potency study is very important. You should also looking at if that particular company have done any microbial study as well. So salmonella, E. coli, mycotoxins, heavy metal toxicity testing, because naturally arsenic and lead is in the soil, right? There's been studies in terms of having arsenic and lead in chocolate. It's the natural part of the soil, okay? It's just, you can't get away from it. But is that going to cause a lot of issue in you? Not really, as long as you're able to excrete, excrete that out. But if you have a company who's not looking to, you know, looking at the overall end product and just how much of the acceptable amount of, let's just say, lead or heavy metals in there, then that's not a good product either, right? And 
even though naturally the trichromes of the actual hemp plant, so trichrome is like little flanges within the uh, hemp flower, and and that is where the all the terpenes and all the cannabinoids are come into play. It does create a naturally antimicrobial surface, so it's resistant to mold and such. But once you harvest that plant, and they have to dry the plant out, they have to clean the plant first, and they have to dry it out. That process may cause mold growth to occur within the plant, and hemp is known to have mycotoxin issues. So if you have a finished product is laced with mold or mycotoxins, patients who are immunocompromised can have an issue with mold toxicity. Or even people in general dealing with mold toxicity in general can have an overreaction and having hypersensitivity to the finished product. So mold toxin testing is very important. I look at solvent testing as well. There's different solvents that could be used for extraction in the finished products, right? Is there a certain amount of glycol in there? You should look at that as well. Uh, and then I, I also like to, there's not really a lot of companies do this, but terpene profile. How much of a terpene are you really seeing at the end, end product? And are you able to get the right amount of terpenes that you're looking for? Because there's certain companies where they do CO2 extraction. I mentioned about the terpenes can be damaged during that CO2 extraction. They may end up having to add in terpenes at the end at, as a finished product. And to say that, hey, we are full spectrum. Is it really? No, you just you just artificially just included in there because you have a subpar product. <laughs> totally. Well, the two things on that. One, terpenes, just to make everybody really understand how important the terpene profile is. Everybody has smelled marijuana before. That is the smell of the terpenes in the plant. <laughs> like, so that potent smell is, is very important. That smell is telling you what that terpene profile is. And so, you know, if you can, if you, if you remember that potent smell, you remember how essential that is to, to how the plant is functioning. And then another thing that I see that I always get concerned about in terms of CBD products that are on the market is, and I know friends of mine who have companies who do this, and I, I, um, I'm sorry, but I hate it. Um, a lot of people will use a small amount of complete spectrum or full spectrum extract, and then they'll dump a ton of CBD isolate in it. So they'll get really cheap CBD isolate, and then that'll make it seem like it's full spectrum extract but it has really high cannabinoid counts, but then it's a really cheap product. So if you're seeing a product where it's like 1,500 milligrams of CBD, but it's only 50 or $60, that's probably not going to actually be a full spectrum extract. It's just sort of a manipulation of the wording so that it seems that way. And that's that's always really frustrating to me because it's so essential to, to really be honest and transparent about it, what you're doing. Absolutely. And then when you talk about drug interaction, that addition of CBD isolate at the end, your drug interaction profile is going to increase because of it. So you're just basically putting risk on the patient or the end user. Well, most of, I might be wrong, but as far as I understand, most of like the drinks and supplements that are out there, those are all isolates, aren't they? Because um, I don't know of any extraction method to make or I've never seen it. Th those are CO2 extract extracted methods in terms of isolating that CBD. And so, you know, when you buy a CBD isolate, it comes in a pure powder, a white powder. Yeah. 
So it's, it's completely flavorless. So if you decide to add into certain drinks, it works out very well. Um, but again, the in the drug interaction I mentioned about before, I know it may end up having to scare a lot of people. That drug interaction also is really depends on the amount of milligrams, mm-hmm. right? And the amount of duration, and as was well how much of the drug enzyme in the body has been inhibited or activated and such, right? So it it does it happen to everybody? Not really. But if you talk about safety wise, full spectrum be the better way to do it. Unfortunately, because full spectrum tends to be very uh, dark and it's bitter, so you cannot add full spectrum into tricks. Yeah. So that's that's the only part. So there's one company that I'm not going to mention, but they do use you know uh, glycerin as their base, so it tends to be sweeter and is a full spectrum. So uh, they sold a couple of the bottles to a certain bars, so they would end up having to add in the full spectrum CBD oil into their cocktails. Um, I actually like to add in that full spectrum um, glycerin base into old fashioned uh, cocktail. So I I like to add that in there. So, you know, once in a while you could could add that in as as a way to uh, enhance the effectiveness of the CBD and relax and enjoy what you're doing. But that's another way to do that. Yeah, it's it's fun seeing how how we can play with it as we move forward. yeah, I remember I, I was living in Brooklyn before I moved back to Colorado. And I remember there were times where it was like CBD calzones and CBD, like it was like, yeah, yeah. it got wild there for a minute. Now, hopefully a lot of the companies that are, you know, not doing good products and, and sort of unethical stuff, a lot of them are sort of dying out over time. Yes. Um, but it, it was it was really interesting for a while. Um so I would love to pick your brain a little bit about some of these new cannabinoids, who are, which are not new, but that some of the cannabinoids that are being explored more like CBN and CBG. Um, which ones are you excited about? What's the research that's compelling to you? I'd love to hear your take on these. Uh, CBG is basically the, the father of all cannabinoids that's sitting all the top. Uh, and so CBG tends to have be very potent in controlling pain issues so and inflammation. And so if you tend to, and it's very expensive anyway, it's very hard to extract CBG. But if you're able to get that and, and utilizing that as a means to help control pain issues, especially neuropathy, uh, CBG can be very, very helpful. CBN is another thing that I've, I've tried on myself. And CBN, uh, it's formed from an aged THC. Right, so it's basically a byproduct of, of THC, and because CBN has a direct effect compared to a CBD, so relaxation-wise, sleep uh, that tend to kick in a lot faster for CBN to work. So if you're having sleep issues and you've tried full spectrum and it's not really working out for you, if you could just get a plain CBN isolate, that tend to work really fast. Um, so that that could be another way to do it. I I, I tried. I was like, wow, this works pretty quickly. So I've seen companies where they do CBN with GABA and L-theanine as a combination. And doing that, I'm quite sure you, your company, you know, could put in additional Chinese herbs in there as, a, as adaptogens to help with those things. Um, so that could be another thing. And CBN also has been shown to be in use in within chemo, uh, cancer therapies uh, as, a, as a more of a 
ways to enhance the effectiveness of the entire therapy, not as a single uh, thing that could be done. But, you know, everybody's different as of what they're looking for. Um, but I haven't really seen any combination of just single molecules of that nature in use of, let's just say, low-dose naltrexone. Uh, so that's one of the things that, that we do a lot. We dispense a lot of low-dose naltrexone dealing with autoimmune disorders, chronic pain, um, PTSD, and then also dispensing full-spectrum CBD oil on top of that to help enhance the effect of this. So what CBD will do is, at least in low-dose naltrexone, is going to help to enhance the effectiveness of the CBD within the endocannabinoid system. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, ways that could actually enhance the effectiveness, pain relief, and patients going to do much better. And I've seen night and day difference in terms of the, the pain control that I've seen. I've heard a lot about LDN, low-dose naltrexone, but I haven't deep-dived on it very much. So I would love to know a little bit more about how that works in the body and why it's so effective for autoimmune disorders. So naltrexone has been dispensed uh, for over 50 years at this point in time for opiate addiction and as and obviously reversal of opiate overdose as well and as well as alcohol dependency. Use of naltrexone the dosing is between 50 to 100 milligrams for those indications. But when they found out that you could use in a lower dose between 0.5 milligrams up to about 4.5 milligrams, it actually created an anti-inflammatory effect on top of it helps to modulate the immune system. So when, and whenever I say modulate, it's able to balance the immune system out to help control certain things like inflammation, autoimmune disorders, and such. And when you talk about cytokine storm, and there's been, uh, I think there was like four different clinical trials still ongoing at this point, and using low-dose naltrexone for cytokine storm uh, for COVID control, that works really well because, again, cytokine activity is all immune-based and uh, wreaking havoc. That naltrexone is there to to dampen that and control it. And CBD helps to control that as well. So there's a different ways in terms of working at different receptors of endocannabinoid and endorphin, but has a synergistic effect on how the body is able to utilize those two compounds in the body. On top of, um, naltrexone helps to decrease activity of the mTOR activity as well. So it's also another anti-inflammatory effect, uh, helps to block certain mu receptors, right? So another pain control, so multiple ways to do that. You could even use naltrexone topically to help increase collagen production for wound healing. So that could be another thing. I mean, I have a I had a third degree burn on my arm, and right now I, I use topical uh, naltrexone for two weeks. This this burn occurred back in 2017, and one of the crazy thing was that the level of healing was very very short on top of the fact that the overall skin damage that was was supposed to occur from that type of burn never existed after using naltrexone topically. So I have a published study and looking at that as well. And so there's a lot of effect that we could extract from naltrexone. Naltrexone also is very cheap. So if you want to get a three-month supply for instance, it's only $68 for patients. So talking about 
patients who have never found any relief using pharmaceutical drugs and all of a sudden now Trexone, which is a very cheap drug that you could get from a compounding pharmacy. Yeah, it's not covered through insurance, but for cost of maybe paying about $23 a month and able to control all the facets issues dealing with autoimmune disorders, including pain, it's life-changing for people. And then if you combine that with full-spectrum CBD, you're going to see a greater effect. It's amazing. How how do people go about learning more about uh, low-dose naltrexone and like which... So if somebody's listening and they have an autoimmune disorder, what would you recommend they sort of do to start looking down that path to see? Because I don't think it's something that's in, you know, I think in, in our world in functional medicine and, and biohacking and whatnot, we know a little bit about, or well, you know a lot about it. I certainly know something about it. But where would people start on that path to start seeing if that's something that they should be exploring for their healing journey? Absolutely. So there's two ways of going by doing that. There's one is to visit LDN Trust. Is a nonprofit LDN organization helps to train doctors and practitioners to prescribe naltrexone, and there's several doctors and practitioners getting involved in educating each other. And as was there's your know, patient support websites that you can join within that uh, website to learn about and how it could help you. And there's so much handouts you could print out and bring to your doctor about it. But Usually, you need to find a functional medicine doctor, an MD or DO or nurse practitioner or physician assistant for prescribing that for you because it is a compounding product that has to be prescribed and brought to a compounding pharmacy and to get that done that way. Um, but in dealing with cost-wise, it's so cheap compared to some of the drugs out there. Another great thing about naltrexone is that if you're using any other biological drugs, so, such as like Humira or Cosentex or uh, um, or something on that line to deal with other autoimmune disorders, you could actually use naltrexone to help uh, manage your condition and it won't cause any negative effect of the biological drugs you're taking. In many cases, I mean, this could be very hard to do. Some patients do end up having to not use biological drugs anymore after naltrexone is able to kick in properly and then help to manage their autoimmune condition. So that, that, that had happened before. Uh, I've had patients where they use naltrexone to get off of opiates completely, 100% off, uh, by giving microdoses. You're talking about one to two micrograms of naltrexone and slowly touching the patient for over 90 to uh, you know, three to six month period. And then they either able to uh, decrease their pain opiate medication by 50% or they're completely off of it. And they would still manage their pain issue by using naltrexone and CBD, and they're fine, right? Like, you could end the entire opiate epidemic by just using naltrexone. And so, like Brown University right now, their, their first-line therapy nowadays, actually, is using naltrexone for pain management. Uh, and Dartmouth, there's a doctor named Dr. Tolgian, had written a review great, great review article. And just type in Tolgian, or at least LDN and Dartmouth University, and his his review article is just phenomenal in terms of describing the, the if efficacy and the, the possibilities of LDN to treat some of the patients that are dealing with chronic issues. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing that there are so many cool options out there that are sort of under the radar of most 
patients and, and even most doctors. So hopefully the work that you're doing to educate and empower people around functional medicine and cannabis medicine uh, will help spread that word a bit, especially when we're reaching out to the Western medical practitioners. I know that often as a doctor of Chinese medicine, we're just sort of scoffed at. So I really appreciate the, the work that you're doing within, within the Western system. Yeah, I, I respect a lot of uh, acupuncturists. I mean, I'll give you an example. My aunt was a pharmacist and an acupuncturist. So in Korea, for instance, they allow you to do dual degree pharmacy and herbal medicine and Chinese medicine. Okay. So she actually had a, a pharmacy on the side. She actually sold herbals and she also concocted and made different blends of herbals and especially when you go to traditional Chinese herbal shops and smelling that herb, that's exactly what I was smelling when I was growing up all the time. Uh, so I'm very used to that. But, you know, that was, that was a natural part of what medicine was about in Korea. Totally. And, well, and and, it... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, so so that, that's something that I grew up with. And it's too bad that that's, you know, scoffed at. Because there's such a great synergistic effect in just using Chinese herbal medicine, acupuncture on top of pharmaceuticals. I, I say that there's no perfect therapies out there, right? There's ways to, in working in, in synergistic fashion or in conjunction, to create this entourage effect, right? So to create a better balance and creating a, a right form of therapy for people. Totally. Um one of the main reasons I got into Chinese herbs as opposed to focusing on acupuncture like most of my colleagues was because it satiated the left and right side of my brain. I could look at the energetic actions through the lens of Chinese medicine and I could look at the pharmacological actions through the, the lens of Western medicine of these herbs, which have all been researched for their, their efficacy also. Um, but yeah, when I studied in China, we were using herbs and pharmaceuticals and acupuncture in the hospital every day with every patient. And so we're able to use less of the pharmaceuticals, more of the herbs and acupuncture to balance that out and figure out what was the right balance for which patient. So I think a lot of times people, since I, I do tend to, to skew obviously towards more natural medicine, people assume that I'm anti-Western medicine. I'm actually completely not. I think Western medicine has a uh, has, has a lot of beneficial aspects to it particularly emergency medicine, yeah, <laughs> but a lot is. of the pharmaceuticals also, but it's, you know, it's the system as it's being practiced that's been sort of hijacked by the pharmaceutical industry and, you know, putting profits over patients as opposed to focusing on what's actually best for the patient. So I, I you know, I, I really feel bad for a lot of Western doctors who have their hands tied uh, by the system and it's, it's very complicated, so... Well, it has been such a joy chatting with you. I would love to have you back to talk more about the functional medicine side of how you healed and all that, because so many of the things that you dealt with in terms of the Bartonella and the mold and the parasites are things that I see all of the times in patients and in people who are looking out, reaching out to me for help. Um, and I have a feeling you have some pretty interesting insights on all of that. But where could people find you? You have a wonderful Instagram that provides a ton of information. Um, how can people reach out to you and find you and find out more information about the work you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. The, the best place to find me is on Instagram. Is My Instagram handle is drdr.john.farmd. It's P-H-A-R-M-D. And my website is drkimwellness.com. 
And if you want to book a consult with me, you could go onto my Instagram page. There is a link that says discovery call. You could click on that. You could get on a call and figure out if you could work together. Wonderful. I highly recommend it, party peoples. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Radical Remedy Podcast. The Radical Remedy Podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice, and no doctor-slash-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.